Welcome to Basecamp Nation. We've kind of been on a bit of a hiatus here. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in tonight. Uh, for those of you that are live, a bunch of you are joining us. And then, of course, uh, for those of you after our actual live recording. So that's the beauty of this format. We can uh, This can go anywhere at any time forever. So my name is Kevin DeVries. I'm the founder and uh, president of Grace Explorations, which is the umbrella for one of our more well-known ministries, which is Basecamp which uh, up until uh, this current cultural chaos was actually in breweries everywhere, and now we've actually gone live stream. So we started it in the spring and uh, have pretty much kept a, a regular monthly uh, schedule with that. We were going every other week for a bit, and then the breweries opened up, and so we went back into the breweries and they closed again. And so now um, we're doing stuff in barns and in tents and pavilions. We're basically trying to ask all of our base camp leaders, there's almost 10 of them now, mostly across Michigan, to think outside the brewery. So we appreciate you also thinking outside the box and joining us. We have a great story uh, tonight about, about race and also about God's grace, how those two things are actually uh, co-joined together. And so we're uh, grateful that Pastor Samuel will join us here in a minute. But just a few things on the front end. Um, we don't want to do a whole bunch of announcements, but we do want to give you an opportunity to participate on a number of different levels, uh, first of which is to become a partner for us. So it usually costs us a couple hundred dollars to actually produce each uh, episode and we've done I don't know eight or ten of them now already and so uh, the hope is, is that we'll have just a wide uh, content library that you can access on our YouTube page that will uh, help you to get familiar with a wide range of stories and so uh, it does cost some money in the production end to produce these to edit them and to get them uh, onto the market so if you can help us with that you can simply go to graceexplorations.com click on the donate button Typically, when we have an in-house uh, brewery-based base camp, uh, we give guys an opportunity to throw some money into a jar, and that usually amounts to a couple hundred bucks. So we're trying to do that uh, figuratively and digitally tonight, where you can just go to our website. So if you can, we'd love to have a sponsor. If you can sponsor the whole thing, that'd be great. Sometimes we do have that. Uh, a couple hundred bucks will allow you to become a sponsor of an episode, but uh, we'd love to have wide participation of whatever you can give uh, or even become better yet a monthly partner. Uh, also, uh, we'd love for your prayers. So we're living in an unusual time and uh, we're kind of at the tip of the spear, especially as it's related to men's movements. So we covet your prayers as well. And uh, we also encourage you to participate. So uh, our next base camp is actually going to be October the 11th. And right now, uh, on this evening, at this given moment, it looks like we're going to be back at Wildwood Farms in Alto, Michigan. And we'll be under the tent again. We have a great arrangement with them where this very large tent is set up for weddings that are happening on Friday and Saturday. And then we come in Sunday night and have our program there um, in the open air, so to speak, uh, under the white tent. Beautiful place, and uh, there's a full cash bar there as well. So we're trying to replicate the actual base camp experience as best we can. So, um, yeah, we'd encourage you to give, and we uh, have a video here that we're going to put in. Um, rather than me just talking about the fact that we've had 2,500 guys, you know, come to 10 different base camps over three years, uh, it's a national movement now, and we're grateful for it, or talk about the thousands and thousands that have been reached through our live streams. We thought we would just take one story a great story by a good friend, uh, Neil Armstrong, not the astronaut, but I think he still is an astronaut, and he'll just give you his reasons of why um, Grace Explorations is important to him and maybe why it should be important to you as well. Base camp is just a, it's a great place to start. It's a great place to come with your stuff, and there, there are no real strictures or structure in terms of when you need to talk or if you need to talk. It's just a safe place for guys to come and know they're allowed to 
to dump their stuff and be real. I come back because I need reality checks. It's so easy for me to pose. I, I'm, I probably have a, a postdoctoral degree in posing. And so I come back here and I'm reminded that uh, I don't need to do that. I need that. I need that. Kevin has modeled that well. This group does that well and I need it. Kevin has a, established a ministry that allows men to be real, bring their crap in, and it, uh, it all stays in there and we're, we're not we're not policing people, we're calling people up into something higher. So the thrust is not what you're doing wrong, the, the thrust is your identity. You're better than this. So I can't better I can't say it better than Neil Armstrong, right? He's an astronaut, so he's speaking from another dimension. But I think he really encapsulated really well that we call men into uh, their highest and best life, which we believe is to become like Christ. And so we don't spend a lot of time policing original sin. There's a place for that. We just don't uh, do that probably as well as some other people do. We like to pursue man's original glory in Christ and the image that Christ has created in him. And just to remind guys, you know, you're better than that. I love the way Neil said that. Uh, and Neil's a great friend, and we'll have him on uh, live stream as well here someday. So, uh, yeah, we encourage you to give and participate as best as you can and are able to. Thank you. I uh, want to talk real quick. We just got off a, uh, a retreat that actually should have happened twice last year or actually the fall before and then the spring. And uh, I had a uh, cardiac arrest episode last September that actually delayed some things. I spent the uh, fall recovering, and so the retreat got pushed to the spring. We got within a week of it, and then uh, COVID kind of messed everything up. And so we just did our story retreat, um, and we hope to do it again next year. But we have a couple of pictures here that uh, was just a great day of 35 men getting together and taking the next step in uh, the base camp journey, if you will. So if you climb a mountain, the central area of communication, of uh, medical evaluation, recalibrating, all the communications, everything that happens uh, of any significance on a mountain is at base camp. And every climber knows that that's the place. Um, but you've got to climb a little higher. You've got to get up to camp one. And we have guys that will actually come to Brickyard Tavern here in West Michigan. Uh, it's every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. You're more than welcome to come to that, and that allows you to get to know us better and us, uh, you as well. And again, that's just men only. So for those of you that are watching with your wives or with your family, that's something that we offer men. But we also felt like as we talked about this journey of story, which is what we really capitalize on because we believe it's the closest distance between the truth and the human heart is the medium of story. We talked about what is the next step with going to base camp, hearing a man's story, and hopefully in the process of that, being able to interpret your own story in light of God's great story. And we thought, well, the next logical step would be to help men own their own story, to help men tell their own story. Not like a Toastmaster type of thing, like this is some kind of performance where we're going to teach you how to say your story really good. That's not what it's about. What it's about is owning your story, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it in between. And we had 35 courageous men that came yesterday, spent a day a couple hundred yards away from the shore on Lake Michigan at Maranatha Camp and did exactly that. Uh, broke down their story, wrote it out, and told it to a smaller group of men, four to five men. And perhaps for some of them, the very first time in their life that they've actually had an opportunity to tell their story. Somebody once said, and I don't know who it was, but that the great tragedy of life is a story untold. 
And we, uh, we take that seriously, which is why we've invited Sam to come here tonight, because we want um, men and women to have the opportunity to tell their story, because we know that that's a powerful tool. Uh, I'm going to use some church words here, evangelism and discipleship. It's a way to advance the kingdom. It's found in Revelations 12, 11, where um, the kingdom was advanced. They defeated the enemy by what Christ did on the cross and by the word of their testimony or by their story, if I can contemporize that. And so we take story very seriously here at Grace Explorations, and we encourage you to begin to own that story because you can't offer your story as strength, as a reforged sword, if you will, to the world until you own it. And you've got to grab that story, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and let your hand feel the hilt of that sword, which is unique to you. Sam's story, Pastor Sam's story is different than my own, but it's unique to his hand, and it's made for his life, and it's a powerful tool to advance the kingdom when we can own that story. Because if you don't own your story, the unfortunate truth is it will own you, and you will run from it for the rest of your life. And for many of us, tragically, we never even get out of the first chapter. We don't even know why we were born. We don't even know why we exist, or we're still contending with God about our point of entry into this world. And so we go through identity crisis after identity crisis, and we chase rabbit trails, and we never get involved in the big story because we don't even know our own story. So we encourage you to do that. Part of what, why we're doing tonight and why we do base camps is maybe something in Sam's story will help move your story along, will help get your story unstuck. So welcome, Pastor Samuel Moffat, uh, pastor of House of God, that's right, um, here in Grand Rapids. And uh, you share the same building and, and now kind of co-pastor with another good friend of base camp, Brian Schmilda, uh, a Dutch guy like me whose parents are uh, Dutch immigrants and live in Canada. Mine came to the U.S., and so we have similar stories. But he introduced me to you a few years back, and I thought, well, what a wonderful man, what a wonderful story. And... Um, I'm an explorer. It's built into our ministry name, Explorations. And what I love about you coming in and just sharing, as all other stories, is you give us a different set of eyes. Mm -hmm. And if we ever lose that ability, that curiosity, that sense of boyish wonder, um, we've, we've stopped growing. It's not so much about uh, death in the sense of your body stop uh, is, is now longer alive. But I think the true death that we really deal with is what dies inside of us before we die. And to keep that sense of wonder and curiosity, we have to look at ourselves as explorers, kind of like, um, you know, the Clark expedition uh, that went out into the Great West, right? They were smart enough to know, and I've studied explorations, and I've been a part of several of them. The smart guys, the ones that come home are the ones that are, realize that the really smart people in the story are the indigenous people, mm. the people that have lived on the land, the people that have felt human suffering, the people that... Uh, have the sense of ethos that uh, you don't have coming in uh, from the outside. You need to go to the people who are actually already in the story. And so that's part of what we're doing here tonight is we've asked Pastor Sam to come on because he has a different perspective than I have. Um, and I appreciate that. And I've grown uh, to discover that I do need a new set of eyes, that the great journeys in our, in our life, the great discoveries are always made when we see things through different sets of eyes and to do that we have to listen we have to empathize which is part of what you're going to be talking about tonight rather than making quick harsh judgments or opinions or politicizing things let's just sit down and listen to a story that hopefully can give us a different set of eyes so welcome tonight thank you kevin um you have uh you know an interesting story that um 
was very refreshing to hear. You spoke at our base camp, actually the last one that we had. No, we had one more at Founders before they closed again for the second wave. Uh, but it was really refreshing. And the discussion afterwards, particularly the 7 o'clock session that we had at Founders, I thought was very encouraging. Yeah. Uh, there was good dialogue. Absolutely. And I felt like uh, both sides of, of the perspective uh, had the ability to say things that they wanted to say in a safe place. And hopefully and I did get a lot of positive feedback. I got some negative on the front end, but I got positive stuff on the back end of, you know what, it was really good to hear people from very different perspectives say something and not have it be weaponized. Yeah. And that vitriol that we feel in our cultural chaos right now, uh, it was, I thought it was a night of healing and a lot of it was initiated by uh, your spirit and just by what you brought to the table. So. You know, I think there's a couple layers to your story here. Um, we need to go back in time, right? Like way back. Maybe start you can take us way. Yeah, start sure. from the beginning of how did we get to this place? Well, you have to go backwards to go forward. So kind of start, maybe give us some context here. And I know you have some pictures that we can show to help move that story along. Okay. Well, again, thank you, Kevin. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be here. And uh, um, my story as I often uh, indicate, is really a part of a bigger story. Yeah. And to uh, uh, understand my story, we kind of have to uh, start at the beginning of a bigger story, which includes the journey of uh, uh, African-Americans in America. Right. And so... Which, if you haven't figured out, is, is a little bit uncomfortable for some people to hear. <laughs> You, you know, as much as it's uncomfortable for some to hear, it's uncomfortable for some to talk about, mm. um, particularly me. Uh, it's not a, it, it's a, it, it can be painful at points. Yeah. Um, but it, it's necessary, I feel, to have these conversations because um, I, the only way that we can um, sort of move the needle with regards to race relations is to is to listen and understand each other right and so these conversations i think are unnecessary so even though it's painful at times you know we we god helps us to do what uh he's assigned us to do right so back to my story though yeah so um when when, when you just kind of uh take a trip down memory lane and and uh revisit history you discover that uh, people like me, African-Americans, uh, were brought uh, to America um, involuntarily. Right. We, we were transported as a part of the trans transatlantic slave trade. Um, so we were, we were captured, we were sold, uh, purchased, acquired as property, and, uh, and brought here in... Um, Slave ships. Um, there was an image. I don't know if we have that image or not, but to give you an idea of what that might have looked like. Um, there we are. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, my ancestors um, were um, they were a part of of this this period of history, and they were transported as cargo versus. Mm. Uh, human beings, and so y you can, uh, you know, assess by looking at the picture. They're they're sort of packed in there as if they were cargo, and um, and many 
many uh, died in transit because of the inhumane conditions. Um, it's an incredibly dehumanizing process. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the beginning of that process. If they were fortunate enough to survive the trip, um, when they uh, reached the, the shores of America, they uh, were then um, sold, auctioned off mm. to a slave owner, and, and uh, that involved uh, being renamed, so their identity was stripped, families were ripped apart, um, and they became someone's property. Um, my grandfather's great, excuse me, my grandfather's grandfather uh, was a son of a slave. Hmm. Um, so I'm not that far removed. Um, what would that put it at year-wise? Uh, late 1800s? Eight, late 1800s. Yeah, yeah just uh, before uh, the... Um, Emancipation mm -hmm. Proclamation. So that was mid mid eighteen hundreds, yeah, I think. Right. Um, but um, that's how it started, and so uh, you have this uh, this dynamic where uh, families were stripped uh, apart, um, and there was it, it created a trauma uh, uh, that we really, as a community didn't realize we were experiencing mm. um, and, 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 and we see some residual effects of that even today um, you, you had f uh, men who were used as um, breeders um, so they had no responsibility to family in terms of parenting and, and, and and caring for a, a household, they would simply make, you know, breeders. Because make, once make, again, they're property, yeah, right? Yeah. And and it's sad, but you can almost get away with anything if you just dehumanize people. Yeah. And so um, that's how we entered. Um, and um, as I mentioned, you know, uh, my gr grandfather's great-grandfather, excuse me, grandfather uh, was in that mix. Mm. Uh, fast forward a little bit. Um, you come out of slavery into the, uh, you know, um, what was known as the Jim Crow era. Um, and, and even prior to that, there, w there was uh, uh, a period where they, they had something called a, um, a black code, which was sort of the beginning of the Jim Crow laws. But um, it, it was uh, uh, mostly it existed in the southern states where... Uh, it, it restricted um, freed slaves' uh, ability f uh, in, t in terms of employment. Mm. So this is this is after the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, but there were these codes that limit w limited where they could work, and they were more or less restricted to field work, working the farm or cleaning a house, those kinds of things. And also travel was restricted. Um, uh, and, and then, you know, that again, that, that, that sort of led into the Jim Crow era, which uh, consisted of laws that legalized um, discrimination, uh, segregation, and for African American, it, it meant uh, a substandard living. Mm. Um, and so uh, my, my, I mentioned my grandfather, he, 
he, uh, he, he lived in a little town in uh, Mississippi called um, Edwards. This is where my dad grew up, my mom as well. And so they were in the thick of the Jim Crow era. I think we have a picture of that, right? But we actually have another slide. Yeah, here we go. Okay. So this is, this is, this is my grandfather's home. Um, you can't see it probably very well because it's grainy, but he's the older gentleman sitting in the middle uh, with me and my siblings surrounding him. Um, this, this was the plant, the, uh, formerly the plantation that his grandfather uh, worked and lived on. Wow, in and, Mississippi. Yes. Okay. So um, his, his, his dad purchased this property, and he raised his family on this property. Um, is it still there? It's still there. It's still in the family. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so um, the, the uh, impact and the uh, uh, effects of the Jim Crow era was uh, very real to my grandfather. I mean, lynchings were common. Um, holes being hosed or, 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 or beaten or, or uh, being, uh, having dogs uh, you know, released on you. Um, because you were, you know, trying to vote, maybe, right? Or uh, you uh, went to the wrong water fountain. <laughs> God forbid you guys start acting like a human, you yeah, know. Yeah. And so they, they, they had to, uh, you know, that was that was life yeah. uh, in the South for them. Um, and 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 one of the things um, I I I didn't really understand it uh, until later in life, but I, I've noticed this. Um, uh, one of the things that um, uh, I've seen in my parents coming out of that is this uh, inferiority complex. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if I shared this at base camp or not, but um, um, growing up in the South, they, they had a perception of, of, of whites as being superior. Right. And um, it was re reinforced, you know, of course, by the by the culture at that time. And so my mom, who's 82 years old uh, today, uh, has trouble looking uh, someone like you in the eye. Wow. She would always look down. Yes. Uh, she may glance up, but she'll look down. Mm. And um, that had an impact on me. Oh, sure. Growing up. Uh, and... Uh, uh, so there was this uh, sense of uh, not being enough. Uh, I don't know. Is there another slide that we? I think the next slide. Well, that's that. Those are images from the Jim Crow era. So yeah. we kind of talked about that. Let's go to the next one. I, I want. Yeah. So that's my 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 parents, my mother, and father, uh, standing in front of uh, a government subsidized housing complex that we grew up in in Muskegon Heights. And cropped in the door, there is a picture of the whole clan, mm -hmm. uh, including the not me and 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 uh, my eight siblings. Oh wow! Um, and so um, uh, one of the interesting things is uh, because of this sense of inferiority. You know, there was for me uh, what I inherited was this need to prove myself. This this because there was a sense that. Uh, I, I didn't measure up, and, and, and whenever I walk into a room outside of my um, familiar context, my neighborhood, I, I felt like, okay, I've got I've to justify why I'm here. I've got to prove that I belong here. Hmm. Um, 
You've got to, you're thinking through this whole process. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like you're coming into a court and you've just got to have your ducks lined up, yeah. your arguments. Yeah. and Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so um, that produced this performance-based kind of way of being. Yeah. And, um, uh, it, but it, it all stems from this distorted perception of self hmm. um, that was... Uh, it sort of inherited from my parents, uh, and 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 it was sort of nurtured in them by uh, by the culture at the time, and and you know, perception is I think at the heart of uh, the racial divide. I think how I perceive me and how I perceive you has everything to do with how I relate to you. Say that again, because that's pretty powerful. You, I think you've got, you went right to the heart of the matter, right? Everybody's kind of, but you're, that's a foundational truth. Just say that again, because yeah. that is really powerful. Well, how I perceive me. Where it starts, the mirror. Right. Yeah. And how I perceive you has everything to do with how I relate to you. Right. Um, Jesus said, if I can get biblical for a minute, um, that the two greatest commandments was to love God with all our heart, soul, mind. And that, that's the great, that's the, that's the first. Second one is to love neighbor as we love ourselves. So that speaks to my perception of me because I'm going to love you based on how I love me. Yeah. And, and so uh, God has to help me. Well, let me say he had to help me uh, work through some perception issues. Uh, you mentioned that we have different uh, lenses that we see the world through. Right. Where, where mine were, were uh, dirty hmm. and, and distorted. And so I had to be willing to trade my lenses in for his. And he helped me to see myself as he sees me. Would you say it's true that we see in others what we first see in ourselves, that it's it's an inverted mirror, that you can't really see the value of the other human until you know your own? I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what Jesus said. Yeah, it's just, it, it was a nice contemporary way of saying what the Bible's been saying for a couple thousand years, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's true. Yeah, absolutely. So I love the way you said it, though, because you you began, it, it's a spiritual problem at its core. Yeah. It's a sin problem. It's, it, it, it expresses itself as a skin problem. But at its core, it's a sin problem. It's an image problem. It's an identity issue. And man, you just, I mean, you jumped right into that. I was hoping we'd get to that a little bit later, but you oh, went I'm right. Sorry. No, no, it's perfect. Because usually, I mean, everybody is, it's all, you know, we're dealing with so many superficial things. But at the core of it, okay. if we don't know who we are in Christ, how can we ever come together and do anything in unity? You know, I think I've shared this with you before. I, I have been very careful about who who I've had this conversation with um, because I, 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 I feel like that um, the, the group of people that in, are in the best position to move the needle on this are those who have some relationship with, with God, right. some, some relationship with Christ. And... Um, you know, th there's a lot of layers to the whole race issue, but at the core, it's it's about relationship. It's about 
how I see me, how I see you. And if my perception of me is distorted, my perception of you will be distorted. Mm. You know, the, 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 the fact that African-Americans were viewed as, as property, as cargo, is a distorted perception. Right. Um, th- so it comes down to how we see each other. Um, one, one, one group's perception of themselves was that of being superior than, to, than the other. Uh, and the other group was inferior. So, so you know, it's a perception issue. Uh, and if, if my perception is distorted, at some point, if I'm, if I'm going to move the needle, uh, I've got to... Uh, I've got to look at my glasses and and realize, okay, I need to have them tweaked or aligned, or maybe I need to just get a whole new set of glasses. And that's where Christ comes in. We, yeah. we bring that distortion to him. Well, it's interesting, and there's a whole level of psychology to this too, of how, um, and I think a lot of what you're describing, uh, you know, with just the, 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 the race wars and just the oppression of a people based singularly on their skin color, it, it's emblematic to me of scapegoating, which mm-hmm. is emblematic of the cross, right? So you have a bunch of people in the time of Christ that are struggling with religious guilt, which is why they've given into legalism or whatever else they're doing to mm-hmm. assuage this inherent sense of guilt and shame. They don't know what to do with it. So what better way than just scapegoat it, project it onto a human, Christ, in this particular situation. So you've got all these religious groups come in, the Roman, everybody's just, it, it's, they're literally, well, they're crucifying him, which essentially is, you know, uh, equivalent to like a lynching, really. I mean, he didn't have a fair trial. It was ridiculous. They let a murderer go in place of him based on a tradition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in many ways, the whole race wars that we're dealing with is is uh, at its core, it's an identity issue. And then additionally to that is people who have not done the hard work, who cannot look in their own mirror and make things right with Almighty God, clear that vertical line up, mm-hmm are always, and this is replete throughout human history, they will always find a people, an ethnicity, a religion, whether it's the Nazis with Jews, whatever it is, when that dark shadow comes into their view and that darkness, they have to look into that own mirror and and acknowledge that, hey, I have sinned. I need to apologize. I need to confess, right? Mm. Make it right with, if they're unable to do that, then they have, if they can't do vertical, they have to go horizontal. And I think in many ways that is also a core issue we're dealing with racial tensions is people that can't do the hard, heavy work inside internally and clear up the vertical so that they know who they are in God, so that they understand that they're a beloved son for our purposes tonight. They're not a slave. The prodigal son acted like a slave throughout pretty much the whole story. And it wasn't until the end of that story when he came back to the father and he got the ring and the robe and the fatty cap and the feast, even though he hadn't really even got to repenting yet, right? He didn't even get sorry out. He just kind of said, hey, I'll just come and be your slave. And God was like, no, you're not a slave. Slaves behave, sons belong, mm-hmm. right? That's and good. isn't, what, isn't that good. what we all want regardless of our background? And so whenever I hear this, um, you know, people group at, uh, attacking another people group, I'm like, man, if we could just get these people to do some heavy lifting, stop projecting, stop scapegoating, and realize that what you're essentially doing is you cannot deal with your own guilt and shame, and so you have to put it onto somebody else, which diabolically has a cathartic effect. You mm-hmm. feel a little bit better about yourself when you can put the next guy mm-hmm. down a little bit further, right? But then the day of Pentecost happens, right? A couple chapters later in the biblical narrative, and people are like, 
oh, wow, we kind of killed an innocent man. Mm. Peter's words did what? They cut the people to their heart. They beat their chests, mm. who just a couple chapters ago were throwing insults and, and just were delusional uh, to the extent that darkness descended on their own minds. And a relative few actually realized what was happening. And I think that's the madness that's settling on a lot of our culture right now and the world for that matter is just this delusional spirit that they somehow think that if I can belittle and shame and diminish and demean the guy that I think is underneath me, I'm going to feel better and it's somehow going to make my shame a little bit less. And in reality, it may do that short term, but it will come back seven times greater yeah. and then it escalates and then it escalates and then it's no longer a race issue. Now it's an ethnicity issue. Then it becomes a religious issue and you find wars and it's just unfortunate. So I try to basically be part of, I, I guess I kind of lead it, although our leadership line is flat with Grace Explorations, but I want Base Camp in, in particular in our live stream events to be a safe place where all men are created equal, the leadership line is flat, and we are interested in having dialogue and getting a new set of eyes, and we want to attract humility. We want to be humble because we know that when we're humble, we're healed. When we're arrogant and proud, it only punishes you in the end. Yeah. So I know I said a mouthful there, but that's some of the things that I'm uh, just, what I love about your story and what I love about what you just said is we're getting to the core issues here. And I mm -hmm. feel like a lot of what people are talking about, the rhetoric, the vitriol is not helpful. It's not healing anybody. I, I agree. I, I think um, there's a lot of work to be done at different layers, but uh, at, at the core, uh, I think the hard work, as you put it, is personal yeah and it has to do with perception um you know you, you mentioned peter uh his address uh, on the day of pentecost you fast forward a few chapters and you'll see god instructing him to go and 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 uh get involved with a uh, uh a gentile right guy by the name cornelius a bad guy yeah, well in peter's <laughs> eyes yeah it, it was it was or not culture. as good as me at least right, you right, know yeah. uh it wasn't culture at all kosher, I should say, at all, for him to, uh, to be involved with a Gentile, um, and, and he goes, but God had to um, address him through a vision. Mm. Now, here's the interesting thing. Uh, Peter's perception uh, at that, up until that point of, of Cornelius was that uh, they're not Jew, and uh, they're not Jewish, uh, and so they're not... Uh, part of God's chosen they're not they don't have access to salvation and and so God uh, uh, gets at Peter through this vision uh, through the, the dietary laws and and you know he puts out the spread of meat for Peter and he's like you know I, I'm a good Jewish boy I don't eat that stuff you yeah. know I wouldn't touch it and and God says well you know uh, don't call what I call clean unclean mm. and so peter's perception was that the gentiles were not clean they were uncircumcised and god had to help him adjust his lenses but the beautiful thing is kevin and this is why i feel like the church is in the position to move the needle in this regard Peter was sensitive to the voice of God. Mm. He recognized God speaking. God had access to Peter's heart. 
And as God began to bring clarity, understanding, revelation, whatever you want to call it, uh, and help Peter uh, adjust his lenses, Peter embraced it. Which and, is probably indicative of why he had to betray himself on the most momentous night of all, right? Mm. Before the crucifixion, I think Jesus knew that, Peter, you have to betray yourself. I mean, you think you're betraying me, but I'm kind of beyond that. I'm a big person. Mm-hmm. You know, I can handle it. Every day, people are denying Christ, and he's okay. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> his capacity to care is unlimited. It's cosmic. So it goes on and on. And yes, he feels pain, and we know that there's an emotional aspect there. But I think Peter, uh, his saving grace was was grace, but also maybe it was just starting to maybe he's beginning to contemplate, you know, I was really wrong before, like really, really wrong. Maybe I'm wrong again. But the humility of having stumbled on his own betrayal, he betrayed himself, really, his own hubris, you know, everybody else is going to fall, but I'm not. I'll never deny you, Christ. I think it opened him up. So he was already in the process of doing the heavy lifting. He'd already come to face his own shadow, uh, his own darkness, and was able to be reinstated by Christ. And maybe that opened him up to this dialogue of, maybe I don't have this all figured out. Maybe Hmm. there are people that are part of this tribe that God doesn't have a problem with, but I do. Hmm. Right? Hmm. So I always keep telling people, you know, some people are like the full revelation of Christ is in the Bible and everything we need to know about Christ is in the Bible and everything you're ever going to experience is in the Bible. And I'm like, well, make sure you take your Bible with you to heaven. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) because you may just have one or two experiences, just maybe, you know, in all of eternity that you can't find specifically in, in, in scriptures. Mm -hmm. Right. So you have to go back to the character of Christ, right. Where the Bible doesn't answer specific things about, you know, there's so many things that are happening in our cultural today, a culture that are not specifically addressed in scripture. You have to go back to the character of Christ. What would Jesus have done going through the gospels, interacting with people of different backgrounds, different genders, I mean, my gosh, this was just a a motley crew of individuals that he assembled Mm -hmm. together. It's almost like he went out of his way to pick people that would have never picked themselves that just basically, you know, created anger in the religious system. It's almost like he went out of his way to find those people, but they all had one thing in common. They were humble enough to follow him, and he saw something innate in them that's like, you know what? These guys will stumble over themselves. They'll betray me. I can see it happening, but in the end, humility will bring them back to the table the round table, and they'll come back to that. I think you and I are both hungry for that, for some dialogue to happen, for the vitriol and the violence and just the politicization, politicalization of this whole thing to calm itself down and get some reasonable voices to the surface that have done the heavy lifting and say, how can we, how can we get out of our own way and see something happen here? You know what I'm hungry for? I'm hungry for that in, in, to manifest in the church. Yeah. Which is uh, where it should start. Yeah. Um, I, and it's interesting, we, we were chatting earlier before the uh, uh, interview uh, about uh, a little bit of church history mm-hmm. and, and how the church has uh, been impacted by the racial divide, and that there are uh, literally uh, denominations that exist, and the only difference between the denominations is skin color. Yeah. And I got to think that the Christ who prayed, let them be one, even as we are one, uh, is not okay with that. Hmm. He, he, his prayer is for us, for his church to be one. Yeah. 
and uh and and so there's 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 work to be done however even though the church has been impacted by racism i i believe that we're in a we're in the best position to move the needle because our hearts are pliable to god uh he has access to our hearts just as he did with peter and um if if we'll embrace his character in this if we'll ask the question okay what would jesus do mm-hmm. wwjd yeah which uh, started in west michigan yeah, actually yeah what, what would he do in this environment and i gotta believe based on what i read in scripture uh he would become uh he he, he would enter the story of the marginalized the disenfranchised the broken that's right. what we see him doing yep. and uh uh and and so you know scripture depicts him as that empathetic high priest uh you know let me just back up a minute the in in, in john's gospel jesus gives this commandment he says this is the commandment that i give you that you love one another as I've loved you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I thought, well, okay, that sounds easy enough, but the question that it raised is how has he loved me? What does his love for me look like? You're telling, you're asking me, God, you're inviting me to love like you love me. Well, what does that look like? Well, we know about the cross, but before the cross, this divine entity became a human being. He, he, he came to earth and 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 walked the planet lived life like you and i in 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 his era uh so he had the human experience yeah um and and so he understands human pain he understands marginalization too absolutely i've been to nazareth that's uh that's not an epicenter i mean Well, in the Bible, you know, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Mm-hmm. You know, this is, uh, I don't know if you'd use the word redneck or, or backwoods, but that's kind of a, you know, a backward place. And, you know, being born in a cave, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with manure all around you, you know, in a manger, which has got animal saliva all over it. I mean, this is a feeding trough that's disguised as a throne, comes out of a, you know, an obscure town. Uh, I think the story of nativity does it really well, but this idea that Jesus grew up with a tremendous um, stigma attached to him. Oh, yeah, that's the one that was born in the Immaculate Conception. This is before Franco Harris, you know, the Immaculate Reception or whatever that was with the Steeler Cowboy game. It's this idea that, I mean, this stigma followed him for his whole life of, yeah, that that's the... I'm going to use this word correctly, the bastard child, mm. right? Out of wedlock. Mm. Oh, yeah, that was the Immaculate Conception, you know, that's kind of a wink-wink type of moment. Mm. Maybe that's why God Almighty had to kind of tear open the skies and rip the fabric of the universe at his baptism and say, this is my son mm. in whom I'm well pleased. And then the next verse, the next chapter, immediately begins with his ministry. And then Jesus did, dot, 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 dot. Yep. But that identity, which is what you hit on, Jesus had to know who he was before he did. Absolutely. And I think what we have right now is a massive identity crisis. Nobody knows who they are, so they can't treat you as you should be Hmm. because that core is fragmented. There's no center. It's all collapsing. Um, And it's unfortunate because now the cycle just, uh, it 
wounded people are wounded people hmm. and they're wounding people and they're just doing what they're doing because they, they don't know they're angry and they're frustrated. And so, um, you know, my journey into this empathy, uh, is a complicated one, but suffice to say that living five years in a vehicle with untreated trauma, uh, showering every day in the health club. And I was a million net worth guy. So it was always a funny conversation to have with guys in the VIP area of the health club. Cause you know, I was there because I got a shower every day and they took care of my laundry. It was perfect. Mm. And I had a nice little box that I could lock up with all my stuff in it. Um, but for the first time in my life, I felt like, uh, you know what? I'm not a good old boy anymore. Mm. I'm not in the club. I am in the physical sense of it, but the conversations and these guys don't know that the guy next to them, the locker next to them, this guy is going to go home and live in a vehicle for a half a decade. And so that whole blindness that I had prior to that, now I begin to understand, man, now I get homeless people. Like I could always mm. understand the guy that built the bridge, but now I get the guy that lives under the bridge mm. where you're one step away from literally being homeless. Mm. I was houseless. I was not homeless, but I was on that brink and it became normative for me. And, and then the denomination that I was serving, you know, because of, um, divorce situation, you know, walking through that and being ineligible to be part of that club and knowing what it felt like to have somebody make a judgment on me that quite frankly did not reflect the character of Christ. Hmm. And then you have to deal with that tension of where do I go with this? Well, really at the end of the day, why do you care what people think about you? Like, isn't it enough or is it enough? This is a great rhetorical question to ask our viewers. Isn't it enough to know what God thinks about you? Do you have to spend your whole life trying to get your identity from the label, from the office, the thing that's on your door or on your desk, or are the things that are hanging on your wall or what people are saying about you? Can it ever be enough where you can be like Christ, where the only validation you have for your life mission is that God has called you a beloved son or a beloved daughter in whom he is well pleased. Now go and get the job done but we do everything to stay away from that, right? I need you to like me, to, for me to feel good about me, and, and I've got to have these things taken care of, and I've got to have my rights be represented, and I've got to be right instead of allowing God to make me right. So now I've got to fight this cultural battle, and I have to shame people because I don't know what to do with my own shame. Mm -hmm. And it's this vicious cycle, but what if we just simplified it to the extent of just calm yourself down, get into a place, a contemplative, quiet place where you can hear the voice of God and he can tell you who you are and what you should do and ask him to open up your eyes and create a, an undiscovered country in front of you where you have to humble yourself to allow people to give you a new set of lenses and to admit that you don't know it all. Hmm. Because my history is very different than yours. My parents did come on ships. Hmm. One of them was on a Holland America line in 1952. My dad came on a former... Uh, military transport uh, ship in 1957. He was 19, 30 bucks in his pocket, and a couple relatives here, but started out, and he lived out the American dream. Sixth grade education, owned several meat processing plants, blue-collar type of guy, did what he did well and worked hard. Mom had an eighth grade education, came when she was 12 with her whole family, uh, ended up in uh, getting processed through Ellis Island, Hoboken, and then uh, lived in kind of the Newark area or more worth northwest New Jersey. And it was the African-American community that rallied with them to mm. teach them English, right? Wow. 
Maybe that's why we understand each other, right? <laughs> because though there was empathy, right? Mm -hmm. These people knew what it was like to, uh, you know, just one or two generations removed coming to another continent, a different language, different customs. And, but again, my experience was my parents came for the, you know, the shining city on a hill to speak Reagan-esque here for a moment. Yours came against their will, mm. didn't know what they were going to get involved in. And that collective trauma, I think the science now bears witness to this, the trauma that I think is triggering a lot of the African-American community now with images and with certain isolated instances is actually triggering collective trauma that's mm -hmm. in their DNA. Mm -hmm. It transfers. Absolutely. We talked about that at base camp. Yeah. Yeah. That goes right through your bloodline just like a blessing or a curse does. And I think we have to be empathetic to that fact that there's images, there are words, there are situations that will trigger that. And until you've been in that situation, you'll have no empathy for that whatsoever because you haven't walked in that person's shoes. Makes sense. Pain recognizes pain. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, in that regard, we are brothers. And in more ways than one, we're brothers in Christ. That's yeah. our identity. That's how we connect. And it speaks to what Paul gets at in uh, his writing in Hebrews regarding Christ being that empathetic high priest. And he says, he, we have not a high priest who can't be touched by the feelings of our infirmities because at all points he was tempted like we are. He understood the pain of the human experience. And, and, and consequently, he, he, when we say it hurts, he gets it. Yeah. And and also he's become that advocate. And so just w with regards to um, the, you know, the my my journey uh, as an African-American, um, you know, there's been some um, some painful experiences yeah. uh, uh, throughout my history uh, with my ancestors, my parents. Um, uh, and even I've had some experiences that were um, were. Um, traumatizing mm. um, and um, one of them uh, if I can share this was um, I was I think we have a slide uh, let's go to this yeah so I, I worked in high school uh, at this uh, men's clothing store and uh, it was a great experience in Muskegon yeah okay uh, it was a great experience uh, except for one incident um, I was uh, working with the uh, a gentleman uh, at that time who I had a great deal of admiration for. He was probably your height, uh, terrific athlete. Uh, he looked like you, not me. Mm. Uh, and he was probably the coolest white guy that I had ever met at that point. Gave you a new lens temporarily. At it, least. Yeah, he could. He 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 had what we called swag. Yeah. Uh, uh, he could flow in and out of black community, white community, didn't matter. Um, and so we were we were working t uh, together one night, and and I don't remember uh, the the specific of the conversation we were having, but uh, during our conversation, he had a a glob of, of uh, gum in his mouth, and uh, oh, I know, I think I I know what it was about. I was preparing to go to Western, hmm. and uh, he 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 didn't go to college. And I don't know if this was had anything to do with his his actions or not, but he uh, sp spit his gum in my face and pointed and said, "You ain't nothing." Really? Yeah. And so now you're starting to 
rise uh, up a little bit on the social. I, 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 I don't know, I, yeah. I guess, but that that caught me completely off guard because I thought we were friends, um, and I and again I admired him, um, but that was my first real encounter with anything that I would consider um, demoralizing from someone who didn't look like me. Yeah. Um, and so it, it came it, out of nowhere. Yeah, it like came you, out of nowhere. It stung me. I didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't realize that there was trauma attached to that, but it was. Yeah. Um, and fast forward. Uh, and a lie was couched in that. Yeah. Because it probably intrinsically picked up on some things that carried through, right? Absolutely. So, through the generations, you ain't nothing. So so the, the, um, the, the, the notion that I inherited of this sense of, Okay, we got to measure up. Uh, you, you're not, you're not good. En- you're not enough, and and uh, you got to prove yourself. Well, that in- reinforced that. That mm-hmm. experience reinforced that. That you know you're you're not. Uh, even if you, even if you go to college and get an education, you're still in uh, perceived as not quite enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so fast forward, um, in the interest of time, I, I, I'm. Um, a, an adult. Uh, I'm a pastor um, and uh, a young father, and I'm on my way on a Wednesday. Excuse me, a Friday, a Good Friday night, to pick up uh, someone who needed a ride to church. We were having a Good Friday evening uh, service yeah. in the in the uh, in, inner city of Grand Rapids, near Franklin Park, uh, Martin Luther yeah. King Park. Yeah. So I get pulled over and. Um, I, I think it was because either I had a taillight out or a blinker out or something, but I get pulled over. And um, so, I'll, you know, I'm, I asked, you know, what did I do wrong or what, you know, and he said, well, you got, it was either taillight or blinker out. And so I'm thinking I'm going to get a ticket, be on my way. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, he detained me for a while. Then he comes over and, and asks me to get out the car. And, you know, I had, I've never had an encounter with the police. So just to pause here for a minute, are you are mental images starting to play out in your mind? Because you've obviously, you know, been a student of history. Yeah. Right. And some of these situations can go south really quick. Well, but at this point, Kevin, you know, what's happening today wasn't that wasn't you weren't seeing that in the yeah. media. So uh, I, the, 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 there was the uh, Roger, uh, not Roger, but uh, uh, King, Rodney King incident. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I really didn't. I didn't have a, a reference for this. I, I'd never experienced anything like this. And I, I just, you know, I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. I didn't know what to think. I'm scared. So I, I'm, I'm told to get out. Is your spread. son with you at this time? No, or that's no, a separate no, okay. that's, that That's a little later. Similar uh, thing happened to him. But I'm told to spread out. I was patted down. Um, and, and, and I asked, you know, what, what was going on. And I was told to just be quiet and do what I told. Uh, well, he didn't say be quiet, but. And, and uh, some using some choice words, he yeah. essentially told me to shut up and do what you told. He got the point across. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I did what he told me because I'm scared and I know what to do. And uh, and, and I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm a pastor, you know, and I'm in the community where I serve. Mm. And so um, I'm driving by. or yeah. 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 But anyways, uh, long story short, uh, he calls for backup. And now I'm really freaking out because 
I'm thinking they call for backup when there's a problem. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know. And I, I was totally compliant. And so I, 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 I didn't know what was going on, and I'm scared. And uh, ultimately, he wrote me a ticket, let me go, with no explanation. And there was trauma attached to that, but mm -hmm. I didn't know it. Fast forward, my son, very similar incident. He's, uh, uh, um, uh, I think he was a senior uh, in high school. He's a high schooler, catching a bus, going to a part-time job. And uh, he stand at the bus stop. Officers uh, pull up, um, have him spread eagle on the ground, um, and handcuffed him and, and put him in the back of the cruiser. Um, they said he fit the description mm. of someone he was looking for. Never had any encounters with the law. He's traumatized. And so, um, uh, and so when, we, when, when I see an incident like the George Floyd situation and others, um, it, it triggers sure. something because I'm realizing that was me, that I'm George Floyd. I, I just, the grace of God, I, you know, it didn't go south. Yeah. Or my son. And so now we have to have these conversations about, you know, w what do you do if you're, if you're stopped and what not to do? Um, and, and, and also there's uh, perception issues, you know, uh, of, of law enforcement. Um, and, and, and let me just go on record and say this, this is not every uh, uh, police officer. I, I've, I've had some good experiences. Yeah, you were food. careful to say that at base camp. Yeah. It, uh, and so I, if I you look at it percentage-wise, most yeah. of it's been positive. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I've had some very good experience with, with law enforcement, but um, it, it only takes one bad one to, for things to go south, yeah. you know. Um, but my, my, my point in sharing this is that these experiences, and then there's there's a little microaggressive kind of things that happen um, just kind of on, normally, you know, like uh, <laughs> you're being in an elevator and someone clutches their purse because you walk in or, uh, you know, you, you, you followed around a, a store, uh, you know, you're in there, you know, you've got your checkbook or your debit card, you're intent on buying something, but the perception is you're, 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 you're a potential thief. So right. you're, you're being followed. Uh, th those kinds if I was of in that elevator as, as a white guy with uh, a white woman, I, I don't think I'd even notice it because it it's probably, but you have an eye that's trained for that and you can see that it, it's amazing how I'm, I'm just not, I'm not looking for it, but it's happening. Even though I could be in that same space and you're the one that's trying to process the fact of, wow, what's going on here? You know, it, there's a prejudgment here because I'm a certain skin color. I want your, you know, and, and I, man, that's what I love about what you're doing is you're helping me give, I have a new set of eyes, right? I'm seeing the world through Sam's eyes. Well, and, and I appreciate um, your willingness to, to, to put on my, my glasses uh, because I, I think, um, that's what Jesus did for us in becoming human. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what listening with the intent of understanding uh, uh, accomplishes. It allows you to see 
through my lens. To me, Kevin, that's love. Yeah. What's being Christ-like. Yeah, yeah. And so um, my experiences, and, 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 and I can only speak from, uh, regarding my experience, but, but I'm, I'm one of, of you know, many, uh, has, has, has produced trauma. And, and the interesting thing about it, um, I didn't know that I was dealing with some trauma. Mm. Uh, most of my adult life, I didn't know. I'm, I'm functioning out of it, not realizing uh, where this is coming from uh, until, you know, later in, in my life. Uh, and, 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 you know, it took me, I don't know, you, you, we have a mutual friend by the name of Greg uh, Dempster. Yeah, yeah. Working with him to, to kind of put my finger on some of this stuff. And, and then inviting Christ into it to work through some of it. And I remember, and we've had this conversation before, you, you, you mentioned, Sam, you don't seem angry. That's one of the reasons why, you know, you, you invited me uh, to base camp. Uh, but the, the fact is, uh, You I set am. me straight. I am. <laughs> well, the reality is I'm angry, but I have some place to go with that. Yeah. Whereas um, I don't know that everyone does. And so you see the uh the, the the you know the aggressive and and, and even violent expressions yeah. of that anger not 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 justifying it but dr king said something that to me makes a lot of sense he said that uh rioting is the voice of the unheard hmm. uh and so um and i saw that played out in in a very simple way today at church uh there's this little girl who was trying to get her mom's attention because she wanted water. Yeah. Mom was talking to me. So mom was kind of like, you know, okay, just, you know, give me a minute. So she came nicely. Ma, I want some water. And then a few minutes later, she didn't come so nice. No. <laughs> she, she, she wasn't being heard. So she, her, her voice was elevated and it was, mom. It's code red time. Yeah. yeah. I want some water. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what we're seeing playing out in our society today. You've got... Uh, people who look like me, who feel like they're unheard, um, and and uh, you know after a while, if if the nice diplomatic efforts, peaceful, don't seem to be, you know, getting heard, then you know the the voice is elevated. Yeah, and and not justifying violence in any in any way, um, but understanding. They feel it's that's, their, that's, their last option. That's where, you know, what's yeah. going on. Uh, but here's, here's my point, Kevin, and, and I, I don't know if you have other questions for me, but uh, what I, what I want to uh, uh, convey is that the, the body of Christ is in a unique position because we have the love of God. And uh, there's a, there's a, on some level, there's a desire to be Christ-like. Mm -hmm. And if we can just ask that question, what would Christ do? I think we, and, and embrace the reality of what Christ would do, embrace his character. I think we could work through this. I think we could, we could not only work through the, the racial uh, divide, but emerge, with some strong, authentic, deep, loving 
relationships yeah. that will provide a light in a dark world. Those two words that you used, uh, empathy and advocacy, yeah. you know, of embracing both of those. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they both, they're cousins. They might even be married to each other. There are two words that work uh, conjoined. Something that really became real to me. So I thought back, I felt like when I was praying about this whole uh, cultural phenomena that's happening right now, there's a lot of things that have happened in six months that usually would take a decade. I mean, you can go down the list of big uh, collective trauma events that have happened on the American culture right now, well, for that matter, global. But I just began thinking, I wonder what that would have been like if uh, I had a different skin color living in my vehicle for those five years like I did. Because mm. I had uh, just a few interactions with the law. They were always friendly, especially when I when they saw who I was. You know, okay, he's a tall, white Dutch dude that's just kind of hard up and maybe got kicked out of the house or something. You know, he's <laughs> not in the hotel. He's in the hotel parking lot. But I thought, I, and, and also my gender, so I'm, I'm a taller guy. You know, I, I never, here's the weird thing, I never uh, worried about my safety. And mm. maybe it was a spiritual thing too. I just felt like God's going to help me through this season. But I wonder um, if I was A, uh, a different gender, a woman, would I have that same sense of, of uh, freedom to just kind of go off grid for a while? Probably not. Mm -hmm. uh, women have a lot more to be concerned about when it comes to personal safety because we live in a culture where yeah. they're more at risk. Children are ultimately at risk. Women are right there. People of different skin colors are more at risk for prejudgment. And I just, I don't know, I just kind of sat in that space for a while and I thought, man, would I have done what I did? Or would I have had the same interactions? And I've got numbers of friends and relatives that are in law enforcement. I hold them in high regard. They have a very, very difficult job right now. Mm -hmm. Are there a couple knuckleheads in the bunch? Absolutely. That's mm -hmm. true of anything. Any organization in the world, whether it's a church, um, you know, law enforcement, there's always going to be a couple knuckleheads that unfortunately make everything complicated for everybody else. But by and large, these are good people uh, that are trying to do the right thing and in most cases are doing the right thing, mm -hmm. right? As has been your experience. Yeah as has been my experience, but I just thought, I wonder what it would have been if I was a different gender or a different skin color, if I would have had the same uh, absence of fear. It literally did, and every time I had interaction with uh, the law, it was, there was no apprehension. I was just like, well, they're just gonna ask a couple questions and that's gonna be in it, and it played out that way every time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know uh, if that would have always been the same case, but it did help me to think a little bit about what would it have been like if I was somebody other than who I am. And I don't know the answer to yeah. that, but I do know based on your story and listening to the women in my life, uh, you know, I have a daughter and listening how they interact differently is certainly uh, a whole different story. So um, we probably need to wrap here a little bit, but I want to, can we put that picture of his family up here? That's a great way to, oh, to close here. Yeah, that's my clan. Actually, these two are getting married uh, this weekend. Oh, wow. This coming weekend. Yeah. yeah. His story is that he was a former GRPD hmm. uh, officer, and we don't have time to get into that, but it's a part of the story, uh, the, the ongoing uh, story of being black in America. Yeah, um, even as a policeman. Yeah. And you told that at base camp, and that was another, that's another layer to this whole yep. cake, if you will. Yep. So this is my beautiful bride of 35 years. Wow. Um, and uh, my son on the end, his girlfriend and uh, her son. Mm. That's my group, my tribe. Your tribe. Well, you know, thank you for coming on. This is a difficult topic, and I, uh, it has to be talked about. And I feel like we've, uh, I don't know, I just feel, I've always felt a kinship with you 
and I, I know we don't look the same, but I feel like, quite frankly, we think the same. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's the beauty of it is once you uh, do some of that heavy lifting and you just stare in that mirror and you realize that, you know, it is a sin issue, but it can be taken care of and that shame can be addressed and you can get to a place where humility can come in and empathy can come yeah. in and advocacy can come in. And you don't have to go political on it. You don't have to always be right. You just yeah. have to be real. Yeah. That's our big thing with Basecamp. Just be real. God will take care of the right stuff. Let yeah. God make you right. But you have to be real first. And Absolutely. this is a real conversation that we've had that uh, I think is emblematic of, of what we do here at, at Basecamp. So uh, for those of you who are viewing, we're kind of wrapping up here. Thank you, Pastor Sam, for coming. Uh, this, this is a uh, dialogue that can continue on. And we encourage that, you know, whatever community you find yourself in, Open up your world to someone else's. Ask God to make you an explorer. Ask him to open up your eyes. Uh, Paul talked about this mystical idea of, of seeing with the eyes of your heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. It's become almost a worship anthem. And that's really what we're trying to do with Base Camp. And if you can partner with us, we would certainly appreciate. You can go to graceexplorations.com and uh, help us by becoming a monthly partner or helping to sponsor each one of these episodes, which uh, costs a couple hundred bucks to produce and engineer and edit and uh, get to uh, the platform that you're viewing us on. So thank you for joining us tonight. Maybe we can just close on a word of prayer and uh, just ask God to give us the heart of an explorer and to give us a new set of eyes. So uh, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you um, have set us on a journey. And as such, we need different people to come into this journey at different stages to help us to see things beyond the bend, if you will. And I thank you for Pastor Sam that he came on tonight, helped me see a little bit further, helped all of us see a little bit further, perhaps a little bit higher and wider, and just to see the landscape that we're walking into. And so, God, just help us to have the heart of Christ. Help us uh, with our, our built-in prejudices that we don't even know are there, or our implicit uh, biases or the ignorance that we have that is just simply unknowing. We just don't know what it's like to walk in these shoes until we've walked in them. So give us that grace, Lord. Yes. Help us to consider ourselves as followers of Christ who considered himself so lowly that he called himself a servant and came as a servant and died serving and rose again serving. Mm -hmm. And we thank you for that, that you've given us a template. And we pray that you uh, just guide all of our steps. Pray for Pastor Sam and his ministry and his family as it becomes larger uh, this coming weekend. Just protect them, Lord, and uh, let them be a shining light in the community that you call them to serve. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll see you again at Base Camp live stream. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>